Well, all right. Well, we are in the middle of The Voice. It's a teaching series uh, where we are taking a, a look at some different attributes of the Holy Spirit, the often neglected leg of the Trinity, the, the comforter, right, the uh, facilitator, the advocate, and the one, the one who's, yeah. I love it. The one who speaks to us. So we're going to take a look at this this morning. Let's pray first. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come and to share your word, to open up your word, and we just pray that you would just make us like a sponge. Allow us to be emptied and filled and be receptive to what you have for us to hear, that we might be able to leave this place and apply it in our lives. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Y'all want to hear a story? Who doesn't like a good story, right? All right, now some of you may have heard this story before. I can't remember if I've shared it here or not because I'm getting older and I don't remember things like I once did. Right? <laughs> well, anyway, I will preface this with saying that some of you are not going to believe me, and that's okay because I probably wouldn't either if I were you. And this will become more clear as we get through this. But the year was 1999. Uh, my wife was pregnant with Dylan, and we decided that the house we were in was too small, and we needed to move to something bigger, so we looked and we shopped around, and we eventually decided that, you know what, we're just going to build. So we built a house in 1999 uh, with the help of a friend of mine, because we were, we decided that we wanted to do our own uh, general contracting. We didn't hire a builder. We, we did everything ourselves. We we did our own electrical, did our own HVAC, we did some of our own plumbing and some odds and ends here and there and the rest of it we subbed out. But we didn't hire a builder that came in and did a turnkey house for us. We did all of that. And my buddy, his name was Monty. He was in the building industry, so he had some of those connections. And, and, and he had done houses before, so I leaned on him a lot. He was, he was very, um, a big part of why we were able to successfully build the house that we'd built. And um, our goal was to get the house ready to move into before Dylan was born, obviously. And in 1999, Memorial Day weekend, we moved into our new house. Dylan was born June the 7th. So, Whew, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I carried my very pregnant wife over the threshold. It was, this is all true. But, it, but really, we couldn't have done any of this if it hadn't have been for my friend, Monty. Now, as most of you parents know, when you start having kids, things change, right? You get busy. You know, you're now consumed with different priorities. And over time, my relationship with Monty began to get more and more distant to a point that I didn't even talk to him hardly anymore, okay? I'm not proud of that. Uh, we didn't have a falling out. It was just something that happened. I'm sure some of you probably have some friends like that in your life where maybe that's, that distance just kind of through circumstances or whatever reason, just kind of happened. So fast forward a few years, about three years. Now it's 2002. I haven't talked to Monty in almost two years. And I'm laying in bed. It's early in the morning. And you know that, that, that period of sleep where you're kind of coming out of a deep sleep and you're starting to come around, your alarm goes off, you hit the snooze button 12 or 13 times. And just that, that, that period, of, I, don't, I think they call it maybe lucid dreaming, where you're just kind of going in and out of that sleep. I hear my wife kind of in the bathroom. She's stirring, getting ready for work, and I'm still in bed. And I am just suddenly jostled awake by this voice in my head. 
I got to connect to the keynote, don't I? And this is this is what really happened. This voice in my head told me this. Call him. Two words. Call him. And you know what was weird is I don't know if it was an audible voice or if it was just an internal voice loudly placed within my thoughts. I, I can't explain it. But they were just as clear as I'm speaking to you right now. And, and more than that, here's the weird part, they weren't just words. They came with this understanding of who they were directed towards. I immediately knew that these words were telling me that I needed to call my friend Monty, who I hadn't talked to in almost two years. I hadn't even been thinking about him. He wasn't in my mind. Call him. Now I'm wide awake, and I'm wrestling with what just happened. I'm like, honey, did you hear something? <laughs> now i got to be honest, I blew it off as kind of just a weird coincidence or you know, one of those weird lucid dreams or my mind playing tricks on me or whatever. Because if you had asked me up to that moment if God really speaks to people, I would have told you that you were nuts. Because I'm a rational thinking person. That's, that's how I'm wired. I need proof. I need logic. I need you to show me. I mean, I had faith. I understood faith. But it was more of a rational kind of faith. Which, when you think about it, is an oxymoron. Because the words rational and faith don't belong together. Right? There's nothing rational about faith. But that's who I was. So in my mind, there was no way that something supernatural could, could have been happening to me. But it's funny, because as Christians, shouldn't we be more open to the possibility of supernatural occurrences? I know there's a lot of you here today that are probably just like me. You might be a little skeptical when you hear these kinds of stories. But when you think about it, the foundation of our faith is built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, perhaps the greatest supernatural occurrence ever known to man. The content of this book is full of supernatural occurrences that we read about, that we sing about, that we teach our children about. But the possibility of God trying to communicate directly with one of us that might push us a little bit beyond our comfort zone, right? It's funny. The leader of Bethel Church, Bill Johnson, had this to say. God doesn't have to try to do supernatural things. He is supernatural. He would have to try not to be. If he is invited to a situation, we should expect nothing but supernatural invasion. So we're going to take a look at one of these supernatural occurrences this morning. And we find our story in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, where we're going to read about an encounter that Elijah had with God. Now, many of you know that Elijah was a prophet, and he was a great defender of worshiping the Hebrew God, Yahweh, the same God that we worship. And in fact, the name Elijah in Hebrew literally means, my God is Yahweh. Elijah lived in the northern kingdom during the reign of King Ahab, 
And King Ahab had a wife named Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was a peach. She, she was not a nice person. That's why you probably have never met anybody named Jezebel. But she was a Phoenician, and she was also a worshiper of the fertility god uh, known as Baal, but everybody calls it Baal, so that's what we're going to call it because it's a lot easier to pronounce. In fact, she was a priestess, and when she became queen, when she married Ahab, she was responsible for institutionalizing Baalism, and, and she suppressed the worship of all other deities, including Yahweh, through massacre and through sacrilege. Not a nice person. Now, this didn't sit well with Elijah. So he eventually challenged uh, these Baal worshipers and these prophets of Baal by asking them to build this altar to Baal. And they, and they built this altar and they threw a ram on it. And he told them to call on the name of their God to start a fire. So they did. They built this altar and all these prophets and all these priests are out there. They're praying and they're screaming and they're shouting and they're singing and they're worshiping. They're doing all this stuff and nothing happens. And this is where it gets really funny because Elijah starts messing with them a little bit. He's taunting them and he starts saying, hey, maybe you're not yelling loud enough. <laughs> yell, yell a little louder. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's taking a nap. So, so they do. They start yelling. Nothing happens, right? So then he builds his own altar. And there, there's all these different details that goes into how he builds it. Go back and read it. It's in chapter 18. He builds his own altar. And then, of course, he calls on the name of God. And God rains down fire. And all these worshipers of Baal don't know what to say. They're, they're silenced immediately. Now, when Jezebel finds out about this, she was not happy. So she puts a hit out on Elijah. He wants him dead. Well, Elijah gets wind of this, so he starts running for his life. He's scared. He's terrified. And he's looking for a place to hide. And, and, and God meets him. The angel of the Lord meets him and tells him where to go. And he ends up in this cave, like the cave we sang about on that first song. Did you know that was about Elijah? I found peace in the echoes of the cave. That's where we're going this morning. And this cave is, is on my, Mount Horeb, which, by the way, is another name for Mount Sinai, which you might remember from the story of Moses. That's where Moses went uh, to get the Ten Commandments. That's where Moses got to, to get a glimpse of God's glory, where God just kind of briefly walked past. And just for a second, Moses saw him, and it turned his beard and his hair white. Right? That's what happened to Dave, right? Just, he caught that glimpse of God just for a moment. So this is a sacred place, right? This is a very holy place. So that's where we're going to pick up our story. So we're going to be reading from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 18. I'm just going to read over you, okay? And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now we're going to stop right there. Now you, you can read on, and I'll tell you what happens. God goes ahead and tells Elijah what to do. Okay? But he had to calm him down first. He had to calm him down first. I love this passage because I think it's a perfect illustration of how we expect sometimes for God to appear and speak to us in, in, in big, bold, majestic ways, right? Sometimes we look for a neon sign from God. Sometimes we look for a form of co communication from the divine that is unmistakable, especially when it comes to questions that we need answered or, or help that we're seeking or decisions that we need to make or worries or fears that we need to be comforted from or all the above. We have a tendency to expect a mighty God to show us answers in dramatic ways. But as we learned from our text this morning, God does not always communicate in that manner. In fact, most of the time, God wants to speak to us in a still, small voice. And by the way, that's the King James translation, for those of you who are familiar with the KJV. That's what he called a still, small voice. ESV called it the sound of a low whisper, but it's a whisper. It's a whisper, Jan. God knew that Elijah needed something to calm him down, all right? He needed a different type of personal encounter because he was distraught. He was depressed. He was scared. He was almost suicidal. If you go back and read a few chapters earlier, he told him, he said, I want to die. So he's terrified, and, and, and he's just lost, and God just needed to calm him down. And he knew that what Elijah needed was something calm, a gentle, spirit-filled whisper. But first, God showed Elijah where he was not. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the fire. These are just subtle reminders of the power of God. But then God comes to Elijah in a calming voice, a whisper. Now, how many of you believe that our God is alive and wants us to hear him? See, we don't just worship a historical God that's bound by what's, what's in this book. Okay? We don't just worship an inanimate being, but we worship a God that lives and breathes in us. We aren't worshiping just a fabrication of our imagination. Hear me, we aren't in a one-dimensional relationship. Our God is all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, all of those things, but he wants us to hear God's voice. The truth is, God might be trying to speak to you today, but it's possible that you can't hear God because of all the noise. Or maybe you're too busy. Or maybe you're just not listening. 
Kendall back yet? We got a video I want to show you this morning. As I was preparing for this, I came across this and I thought it was worth sharing. But first, we're going to turn some lights off so that we can see it better. Roll it. Yeah, yeah, so I should be in the next hour or so. Yeah, no, absolutely, not, no problem. We'll get it, uh, we'll get it sorted. <coughs> no, I've, I've already spoken to them, um, and they said it would be fine. I heard someone say once, God doesn't speak to people anymore. That was only in the Bible, and it was only in the ancient world. Just like I hear God doesn't perform miracles anymore. That was only in the Bible. That was only in the ancient world. Well, first of all, let's put this into perspective. This Bible wasn't written, or excuse me, this Bible was written over a period of thousands of years. Thousands of years. So when you start turning pages through here, you're literally moving hundreds of years into the, in, throughout history. This is not something that happened in a small time frame. So thousands of years are represented here. So these big dramatic ways that God used to communicate to the people in Scripture, they were always the exception, not the rule. 
We don't know the other ways that God used to, to, to whisper or to talk or to share or to communicate with, the, with his people other than the big dramatic ways, right? Secondly, if we're walking around hoping and looking for a burning bush or a pillar of fire, we might be missing out on those gentle whispers. God wants to speak to you, but here's the thing. You have to know God. Well, I go to church every Sunday. Yeah, but do you know God? Well, I, I read the Bible every day. I, I serve once a week. I go to Bible studies and, and house groups. But do you know God? See, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. If your relationship with God is purely academic, then you're probably missing a critical component in your faith. Knowing God isn't about acquiring information. It's about developing a, a deep, intimate relationship with God. Why whispers? What reason could a mighty, powerful God have to try to communicate to us in such a small way? Why a whisper? Because God wants you to know him. Have you ever tried to listen to someone whisper from a distance? If you want to hear what they're saying, what do you got to do? You got to get closer. You ever try to listen to someone whisper in a loud room? If you want to hear what they're saying, you got to shut off the noise and get closer. God wants us to embrace the silence, and that's a thing in itself, ain't it? Like silence is, is, is something that we need to run and hide from. So silence is not something that we should seek to replace with noise, but yet that's what we always want to do. Silence is not a condition that needs to be fixed. Silence is not passive waiting, but it's proactive listening. But we don't understand this concept in our world because we're not programmed this way. When we enter a space and it's, and it's quiet, what do we do? We fill it with noise. We turn on the TV. Turn on the radio. Get on our phone. Watch TikTok videos. Whatever. We find ways to fill the noise. We have become programmed to fill a void and when silence finally comes, it's weird and it's awkward. We've got to take it back. We need to reclaim the silence. We need to embrace the silence. We have to learn to disconnect, to shut off our phones, to turn off our laptops and our TVs and all our devices because it is just noise. Now, I found this, this decibel chart. And I thought this was interesting. I just want to take a look at this. Now, this decibel chart shows us the threshold from bottom to mid. This, this is a measure of what the human ear is capable of picking up. Now, I'm not going to get into the science of it all because, you know, we've got those little hairs that pick up vibrations because it's just gross. But you can see on this chart at the lowest level, which is zero, that is the, the lowest level that the human ear theoretically can pick up any type of noise. So just above zero at 10 is normal breathing. And a whisper is just above the sound of breathing. 
going up towards the top, we start, we start getting a little perspective like we see a passing ambulance at 120, or we see a jackhammer uh, at 130, or a chainsaw at 110. And when you get to 200, that's the loudest possible noise a human ear can pick up. But it starts becoming painful at 130. By the way, if you're wondering, the band plays at about an 85 to 90 decibel range. What? I did look it up, and the sound of a screaming baby is 120, which is, by the way, is just below the threshold of pain. <laughs> when are you guys due? <laughs> April. <laughs> Praying for you, man. But would it, would it make sense? Would it, I mean, doesn't it stand to reason that if you wanted to hear something at a level 20, which is a whisper at two meters, which is just a little more than six feet, right? That you need to get rid of everything higher than that so you can hear it? Doesn't that make sense? Mark Batterson, who wrote the book Whisper, How to Hear the Voice of God, which, by the way, is a really good read. Check it out. says this, God often speaks loudest when we're quietest. And I believe that. If you want God speaking to you, if you want to hear God speak to you, get alone with him. Go to a room where there will be no distractions and no one to interrupt you. Did you know that the University of California did a study and the average person gets interrupted every three minutes? It took them years to do this study. Because <laughs> they kept getting, getting interrupted. Every three minutes, can you imagine that? You want to hear a story? <laughs> I used to work at a hospital in Abilene, Texas, Dias Air Force Base. And this was around the same time frame as the other story, by the way. And at that time, I was trying to, 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 to put into practice things, uh, more spiritual disciplines in my life. And one of the ways that I found to do that was I would start praying during my work day while I took a break. So there was a section in the hospital that they had completely shut down because they used to do surgery there. But they quit doing surgery at the hospital, so this whole wing become vacant. Nobody ever went back there for any reason. In fact, they didn't even have power up there. So I'm, I found this little spot on the farthest uh, distance of this ward. You go all the way back to the, to the corner of the second floor, there's a surgery suite. It was a farthest surgery suite. It was a absolutely farthest that you could walk on the second floor and inside the surgery suite there was this little room I call it a closet but it was where they used to go and change and put their scrubs on and things like that but there was a bench right there where I could sit and I found that it was the perfect spot to go and to get away from everything and nobody ever came up there to disturb me and I'm up there one day and I'm praying and all of a sudden I hear this door swing open all the way at the other end where you first walk into the second floor surgery area Somebody walked into a swinging door because it creaked. I could hear it. I'm like, well, that's weird. Nobody's ever up here. But I keep praying. I didn't think nothing about it. Footsteps keep getting closer and closer. I keep praying and praying. Now I'm starting to get worried. And then finally the door to the suite that I'm in swings open. And I'm thinking to myself, this ain't good. Because <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to be able to explain to whoever this person is what I'm doing back here. And sure enough, 
I saw the doorknob start to turn. I mean, what are the odds? <laughs> that I'll be back here praying, and this complete stranger just happens to walk in on me. I've been, doing, I've been going to this room for months at this point. Then that door began to swing open, and I saw this nurse, and I did the only thing that I could think of. I went, boo! I didn't know what else to do. But then I had to explain. I was like, here's what I do. This is why I come. This is my space. You're invading my space. And she's like, well, I just came here looking for something. And, of course, you know, I, I spent another two years working in that hospital, and she always avoided me when I saw her walking down the hallway. <laughs> anyway, the point is, find a place where you won't be interrupted. Be consistent and intentional, okay? Don't just go to God for big decisions or, or, or desperate events. Make it a habit to go to God so that when you have a need, you're familiar with, with, with this communication. Listening for God's voice is not something that should only be happening in times of need. Make time. What's the best time for you? For me, it was, you know, different times throughout the day. Maybe the morning when you first get out. I'm not a morning person. But for some people, that works best for them. I, I, I get that. Spend time in Scripture. Be in the Word consistently. I'm not just talking about Bible roulette. You guys ever play Bible roulette? Anybody ever done that? You, you got to answer, answer something in your life. God, speak to me. And then you just kind of flip to something. Should I take that job? Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. What? That's Song of Songs, by the way, 7-4. Not very helpful. It doesn't work. Don't use the Bible as, as, as a means of casting lots or, or playing Bible roulette. You might as well grab a magic eight ball and pray over that. But for a millennia, God has used Scripture to speak to his people, understanding that there are different ways to read Scripture, right? I mean, you can study Scripture using resources made available to gain a better understanding of it. There's nothing wrong with that. Find some... Um, commentaries or some Bible study tools to study Scripture. This is an academic approach to reading the Bible. But you can also read Scripture devotionally. Find you a good devotional that you really like. Our Daily Bread is a good one. I think everybody should go through uh, My Utmost for His Highest. That's Oswald Chambers. At least once in your life, if you've never done that. There's apps for most of this stuff that you can put it on your phone. I know I said turn your phone off, but if you're using it for the right application, it can be a resource. It can be useful. You can read Scripture devotionally. You can also meditate on Scripture. This is another way to approach reading Scripture. Okay? This is a learned practice. And it's another way that we can embrace the silence instead of simply blasting through our to-do list. There's a lot of resources available out there that can guide you through ways to do that. Here's just one if you want to take a snapshot of it. Our Daily Bread uh, has a tab that will guide you through how to meditate on Scripture. Give it a shot. Prayer and meditation is a key element in, in our spiritual development, right? Of course, prayer is a vital part uh, of our spiritual existence. You know, it's, it's a form of communication, and we talk about that a lot here. We just wrapped up a teaching series about prayer. And there's many ways to approach this, as been discussed here numerous times, whether it's a breath prayer that gets spoken throughout the day, or it's a directed prayer that perhaps you use frequently that gets drawn 
from your favorite resource or devotional. Or it's just simply you opening up to God informally and sharing what's going on in your life and inviting God into uh, the stuff that you, that you want Him to be involved in, your day-to-day activities and decisions. But prayer is also sitting in the silence and just being aware of God's presence in the moment. Resisting the urge to speak, to feel like it's up to you to say something because it's just too quiet. Embrace the silence. Learn the practice of contemplation. This is a practice that's been around for hundreds of years. Many of the great saints in our traditions, uh, the desert fathers and mothers, the monastics, the mystics, and even more recently, people like Thomas Merton, who most of his writings he wrote right here in Kentucky, just outside of Bardstown, a little place called the Abbey of Gethsemane, or Richard Rohr is another good resource uh, to help you learn about contemplation. Fasting is another great method. Fasting cleans the blood. There's a scientific reason for fasting spiritually. When you clean the blood out, it has a direct impact on our state of consciousness and our ability to be intuitive. It helps clear our minds. Fasting is also a physical sacrifice to God. It's an act of worship. Like when Romans 12.1 says, give your body as a living sacrifice, one of the ways we can do that is through fasting. And when done for the right reasons, fasting can draw us close to God. Again, there's a number of ways to go about this, and there's many resources to help guide you, but perhaps the easiest way to start is by simply skipping breakfast and lunch. Eat dinner one day, and then skip breakfast and lunch, praying and meditating, reading Scripture, seeking God in those moments before you eat dinner. That's a 24-hour fast. Best way to start. Now, by the way, these are, these are all solid suggestions for ways to maybe add some new discipline to your life and with Lent just around the corner we got Ash Wednesday coming up happy Valentine's Day maybe, maybe there's something here that we can digest and, and, and bite our teeth into to grow and to learn how to listen for the voice of God now I want to be clear here because I want you to understand that what it is we're talking about if you do these things does that mean that God is going to speak to you audibly or will he speak to you in other ways Yeah, I have no idea. I can't promise you that that the whisper you hear will be a literal whisper from God. It might come in other forms. I'm not about to to tell you or to uh, box God in or create a formula for how God chooses to communicate with you because I'm not God, and trust me, you're better off. He might choose to speak to you through someone else or through some other means. All all I'm saying is is that if you apply these principles in your life that force you to shut out the world and tune into the frequencies of God, then you're going to have a much better chance of hearing God. Whichever way He chooses to speak to you. Now, I can't point to a passage. I can't back this with Scripture, but I can tell you this just based on my personal experience. I believe that when God speaks to you, you're going to know. When you know, you know. So I'm not saying if you, if you ask God to give you a sign if it's, if it's okay to go buy a red Mazda, and if you go to the Mazda dealer, there's a red car on the lot, that's not God speaking to you, okay? Common sense has to come into play here at some point. 
I believe that when God wants to speak to you, even if you try to ignore it, he's going to make it known. Going back to my story, because that's how it worked for me. So I go on about my day, just completely discounting the events of my morning. And I go to work, I put in my eight hours, never thinking once about calling my old friend Monty. Now this was back before everybody had cell phones and we still had landlines. And attached to those landlines were these magical devices, kids, called answering machines. (laughs) And if these answering machines had a message on them, there was this flashing red light. I get home and there's this flashing red light, which meant I had a message. Guess who it was from? No, it wasn't God, but it was from Monty. Remember, I haven't talked to him in almost two years. He leaves a message on my machine. Now, how nuts is that? I push play, and I listen to the message. And it was brief, but his tone was concerning, like something was wrong. Now, i got to be a little honest with you. I'm, I'm embarrassed that I hadn't reached out to him before now, so I was just a little hesitant to make the call, but I did. Because at this point, it became clear to me that this was no mere coincidence. And what had happened to me that morning was not a product of my imagination. There was, there, there was no denying it at this point. So I called him, and after just a few short moments of pleasantries, I began to learn that my friend Monty was not doing well at all. In fact, he was going through a divorce. He lost his family. He was a father of three kids. Monty had a drinking problem, so his wife left him. That drinking problem led to some severe liver liver damage. So he was having some major health problems also at the same time. The truth is, he really just needed a friend. Monty passed away in Christmas of 2003. And in the short time that he had left, I tried to be there for him. But we ended up moving to Kentucky that same year in 2003. So... In his final months, I really wasn't around for Monty that much. But I look back on that time, and I I question if I was able to fulfill whatever my calling was. And I'm sure that there were things that I could have done better, but it became clear to me. And I look back on this this, uh, time in my life now. It became clear to me that what I was being called to was simply the ministry of presence. That was it. God wasn't calling me to fix Monty. God wasn't calling me to save Monty. God just wanted someone in Monty's life because he didn't have anyone else. He needed somebody to be Jesus for Monty. And sometimes that's all we're called to do is just to be present, to be the face of Christ, just to be there and to love them. I wasn't there in his final days, but I knew Monty well enough to know that he left this world with the peace of knowing Jesus. And because of Monty, I was given a blessing. So now whenever the doubts set in, and yeah, they do, I have them too, just like you do. Whenever I start to question, whenever I feel distant, when I struggle to hear that whisper, I remember the moment when the divine, the holy God of the universe reached down and woke me up with a gentle voice, and he gave me a mission. And that's something that I will never forget. God speaks to us in so many ways. He speaks through doors and through dreams and through promptings and through pain and through suffering, through healing, 
He speaks through people. He speaks through our loneliness. He speaks through our circumstances. He speaks through scripture, through prayer, through meditation, through worship and music. He speaks through providence and through creation. God speaks through signs and wonders and, yes, even through whispers. The question is, will you make yourself available to hear? So I'm going to close with this quote from Bill Hybel, who was a senior pastor at Willow Creek for a long time in Chicago. And Bill says this, If you lower the ambient noise of your life and listen expectantly for those whispers of God, your ears will hear them, and when you follow their lead, your world will be rocked. Who's ready to have the world rocked? Let's pray. God, it's funny how just 20 seconds of silence can just make us feel so uncomfortable. It's not our desire to drown you out, but yet that's what we do. Forgive us. Forgive us and steer us towards embracing the silence. Help us to to disconnect. Help us to turn off. And help us to just sit. To sit in the beauty of your presence in the mystery of who you are, and to listen for your still small voice. We want to hear you. We want to be closer to you. Speak for your servants are listening. 